Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I am putting out a second episode with Talia Becker, who is an eating disorder therapist, and we are planning on doing a third. So stay tuned. We are really demystifying intuitive eating and how it can be helpful and how maybe um, the media portrays it as something like eat whatever you want, do whatever you want, whatever, whatever, whatever. And like, I just don't think that I mean, to me, it's like, I mean, I've been doing this for a bunch of years, but obviously that's like not really self-care, just do whatever you want, right? There definitely is a level of um, willpower or self-control, although like maybe in the intuitive eating book, they're they're describing it more like you don't have to practice those things. But I'm saying that intuitive eating is a framework and a set of, it's it's not rules, it's guide, it's a guidebook. And um it's really getting in touch with your own internal cues, which I think dieting just turns off those cues, right? So, um, so we're we are going to demystify that here in the episode. And again, we we only got up to half the principle, so we're going to come back on and discuss it more in depth. And um, I just want want to say this again that I'm running my group, intuitive eating group, and we're up to week four, which we did last night. Um, the satisfaction factor of food. And I just want to say that it's such an amazing group of women who are showing up for themselves. And um, even one of the women said last night that it's more than just coming on once a week. It's like the support in the WhatsApp chat when you're feeling down or you want to use food to cope or you know food isn't going to help you or you just eat and you feel down about it, right? And it's like just in those moments, it's amazing to reach out to someone who's going through something similar and get support. So if you are interested in joining the next group, uh, reach out to me. You could email me at gilaglassberg18 at gmail.com. You can reach out to me on Instagram at gila.glassberg.intuitiverd. Um, and I really look forward to hearing from you. You could also reach out if you're interested in doing one-on-one counseling and just go to my website, gilaglassberg.com. If you're looking to learn more about intuitive eating, I have plenty of blog posts there and podcasts and videos and, um, you could really learn about it from the, from the website. Okay. Without further ado, have a great day. Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host, registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor. And today I have Talia Becker on for the second time. Thanks for coming back on. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Sure. I'm so excited to have you on again and to talk about my favorite topic, intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. So, um, so let's just begin, I guess, with last time when you were on, we were talking about eating disorders. Yeah. And now we're talking about 
um, intuitive eating. So I think people maybe think that intuitive eating is a way to heal an eating disorder, or you can use it as a modality of treatment. And I think that's a misconception. So how about you talk about that a little bit? Why intuitive eating isn't, isn't something that can heal an eating disorder, but it's the ultimate goal after recovery? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So when someone, whether they come in for treatment, whether they're on the unit or private practice, whatever it is, um, a lot of times people who engage in eating disorders, their hunger cues are very much off because either they've been hungry and they don't listen or they're not hungry and they're overeating. So like your body kind of goes haywire. So for those people, we really want to retrain the body how to develop those hunger cues. So we really start with specific times of like, okay, so breakfast at eight, a snack at 10.30, lunch at 12, whatever time frame works for you. And then over time, the body's like, oh, hey, it's like 10.30 snack time. We're hungry because your body's so used to eating at those intervals. So initially when we start, you try to find times that work for you in terms of eating. And then also a registered dietitian helps you figure out what you need nutritionally. So a protein, a carb, a vegetable, a fruit, whatever it is, they work it out in your meal plan because you want to make sure you're getting all food groups. And also when you're in recovery with your hunger cues, you also don't really know what you're in the mood for. You want sweet, you want salty, you want this, you want that, but you also need to make sure you're getting in enough nutrients. So the dietitian will help you with that. So at each meal, you're going to have specific food items that meets all the food groups. And again, you may not be hungry, you may not be wanting it, but part of recovery is that you need either to get on a better food schedule, you need to nourish yourself. And the only way that's going to happen initially is if you nourish yourself in that way by having all those food groups and eating at specific times. That's the initial goal. However, as time goes on, right, and we're not robots, a craving may come up right? Oh, I'm suddenly in the mood for like something sweet. I'm suddenly in the mood for something salty. And let's say you were planning on having waffles for breakfast and now you want something salty, you want an omelet. So maybe in the meal plan before you were kind of set to have X, Y, and Z. Whereas over time with intuitive eating, you can say, okay, I'm going to do this instead, or I'm just in the mood for, you know, a chocolate bar right now. And with intuitive eating, that is something that you can do. So I think the initial goal is to have a more like set sort of meal plan with the dietitian. And over time, you want to get into intuitive eating and you want to be able to listen to your body and fullness. But again, intuitive eating is more complicated than that, even if you're full and you want something after that because you want to, I don't know, you have a craving. That's also very okay. But many patients, after we get past the initial meal plan stage, are like, well, intuitive eating, you're just telling me that I'm allowed to have a box of donuts. You're telling me I can eat the whole box of cereal, which, nope, I've never said that. But yeah. I think we need some clarification from an intuitive eating dietitian on what that next stage looks like and what is intuitive eating. Is it just opening a box of donuts and eating 12 donuts and opening a gallon of ice cream and eating a gallon of ice cream? Or is there some other gray area where it's not so black and white? And I feel like as the intuitive eating guru <laughs> would be helpful for you to set, shed some light on that if that's okay sure so yeah I think it, it is really important that people know that you can't use intuitive eating to like in the initial stages of um, eating disorder recovery um, yeah and it's actually an interesting thing that you said about like not really hearing your hunger cues and not really hearing your fullness cues because like I always say this to clients that like because dieting tells you what to eat when to eat how much to eat you really maybe don't aren't getting hunger fullness cues. So like, let's say um, 
if the diet says like you should be hungry now I know like on OA people have to like they have to weigh and measure their food and they have to eat that amount even if they're getting a fullness cue and they're just like yeah like it's hard for me to stop eating because like I'm so used to just eating my whole plate and that's an external cue telling you when you're when you should be full um and I think it goes even further um into like we don't really have body trust in general. I was just saying this to a client mm-hmm. that like, I know I've, I've heard a lot of therapists talk about this on Instagram, which I, I know that's funny, but like, I really, really, really mm-hmm. think this is like so smart. That like, like I think back in the day, let's say like um, somebody went to visit family and like their great uncle was like, come sit on my lap, you know? And the child was like, I don't want to, you know? And then the parent was like, oh, it's rude. And you totally just like turned off that child's like internal compass of like, I don't feel comfortable with that person. So it's, I know that's not the same thing, but it's a very similar thing of like body trust that we want to like cultivate in ourselves, cultivate in our children. So it makes sense that somebody who's healing from an eating disorder wouldn't be able to use um, intuitive eating. But yes, as we transition intuitive eating, um, is definitely a modality that I think could help anybody. And I always say like the principles of intuitive eating can be used in other areas of life. I really like to try to help clients figure that out also. So, but the, I guess what the hardest part about intuitive eating is that there are 10 principles so that it's kind of hard to say that this is intuitive eating when right. there's 10 principles, right? Mm-hmm. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. So I've kind of like, I always say this, like I've kind of like developed a way to go through the principles kind of, and obviously every client's different, but I feel like this way kind of helps people realize that it's like every principle kind of builds on each other mm-hmm. and you don't have to go in any specific order, but there's us- a usual way that makes sense to most people that I've seen. And sometimes I see they're going a different way and I'll, and sometimes, okay, so let me tell you what I mean. So there's 10 mm-hmm. principles of intuitive eating. Um, the first principle is reject diet mentality. Which I think for so many and so many of our patients who we work with, that is really hard. And that's a huge one, especially if you've grown up, your parents, your siblings, your friends, like family, like that one is so hard to reject. Cause like a lot of my patients say, well, if I reject that, I don't fit in with my family. I don't relate to my family. So how do you deal with that when someone comes in and is like reject diet culture? Like I have to reject my entire lifestyle. Like, what is that like? Right. It's, that is really sad, but that's true. Um, so I guess like clients get to know, like I get to know their my clients and they get to know me that like a lot of what I do is like um, value-based living, right? So like um, I like to think of like the spectrum of eating disorders and, and I always quote Jessica Sennick when I say this, that like people have to think about food, right? So let's say like, let's say 25 to 40% of the day, you have to think about food. What am I going to eat? I'm going to go to the grocery store, right? That's normal human behavior. Um, and let's say disordered eating is like thinking about food 40 to 80% of your day. And which is like a lot. Right. Um, <laughs> but like an eating disorder is like 80 to 110% of your day right. because you're oh. even like dreaming about food because you're so mm-hmm. calorically deprived. Even on the binging side, you're so involved in food as a coping mechanism. Right. So that makes sense, right? So I always say like, I guess like I am a dietitian and I I really want to stay within my scope, but I always just say that like, you want to look at your life as like, let's say like a pie chart and think like, let's say, let's say I'll use my life as an example. So I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a Jew, not in any specific order. 
Um, I have, I'm a, <laughs> I'm no a bus- yeah, I have eight siblings. I have, yeah. I have, my husband has three siblings and they're all married, right? So all my si- siblings and siblings-in-laws, I have friends. I have so much, thank God, in my life, right? Um, if food was taking up like 40 to 80% of that pie chart, my life would be very small. My life would feel very small. Which is interesting that you say that because I think like from a therapist perspective, right? That's the point. Like, what are you not thinking about that you're thinking about food so much? Is it trauma? Mm-hmm. Is it anxiety? Is it perfectionism? Right, is it right. All these things. So like you said, it's like, it's so important to figure out what are you trying to avoid potentially that you're right. thinking about this so much. And yeah, can you imagine if you take away that 80 to 100%, like, whoa. I always say like, there. A lot of patients say to me, like, that's so scary. Like, what will I do? I'm like, why do you reframe it as like, what opportunities will you have? And like all this mental capacity to just live a life that you want to, not what your eating disorder wants to do. Even, even like, I would take it a step further that like, I guess a painful part of adulthood, which I always say, like, as adults, like we're not victims. So we get to choose, which is like really hard. Mm -hmm. I like, I don't know where I heard this, but I think it was actually Faggy Pollock. So shout out to her. She's like a EFT practitioner. She was also on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think of like adulthood as like a drawer that has like our junk drawer that has lots and lots of stuff in it. Not junk like candy, like junk like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, tchotchkes. So like as a, as kids, like we just absorb like messages and that's just how it is by osmosis, right? And then as adults, yeah. we like take the, the contents of the drawer and we dump it out on a desk and we would say like this I like and this I don't like, right? So let's say like our whole family is a dieting family. Our whole family believes like if you're thin, you're beautiful and you're good and you get a lot of attention. And let's say you have a, I mean, I have a huge family, <laughs> thank God. Yeah. Um, which I, And I don't have that. My whole family is obsessed with dieting, thank God. Um, so I'm just trying, I, I know a bit from clients and I'm trying to think like I go to like a Hanukkah party or I go to like a, you know, sukkah meal. And it's like, let's say a lot of my clients do have also very big families and the whole meal is about dieting. Now, like, take a step back and think about what the meal really represents as, like, let's just say Hanukkah or or Sukkot, right? Sure. Yeah. Or Thanksgiving or Christmas even. Like, this meal here is representing, like, my family, my, my religion, my freedom. And 80% of the meal is about who lost weight, who did bariatric surgery, who's skinny. Who, like, yeah, you, I can't help but think there's some level of avoidance. Mm-hmm. right for sure for sure it really does take away from so much and like right the point is to like be with family and enjoy right. and with other people and it's hard also because for some people they can talk about it and it can roll off their shoulders but the people who are like struggling the most right they get triggered the most so it's not right. just like oh that diet for them it's like oh no do I need to be on that diet are they talking right. about me like am I doing something that right. like there's so many layers to that right I've heard that like across the spectrum like people who are really working on rejecting the diet mentality and then they go to a family gathering and they're talking about like their latest diet and they're like they're asking me like should I do that and I'm like you already know the answer but like it's so (laughs) much like it's just like they already do know the answer but they're just so influenced or triggered or whatever or like let's say somebody who's living in like not I, I don't I don't even know how to term it anymore a larger body a fat body whatever and they're at a meal and there are people smaller than them saying how fat they are and how disgusting they are and they're like what do they think about me right you know right. and it's just like I don't expect people to reject I always say 
rejecting the mentality, rejecting the diet mentality is something that you're going to do all throughout your 10 principles of intuitive eating all throughout our journey, because I still am working on rejecting diet mentality. I still have to like go somewhere and think to myself, like, is that diet culture? Is that like, do I like, it's, it's a process of, of, of what, what's it called? It's a process of just asking yourself, like, is that in line with my value system or like, great. You know, for some people that is something are diet culture for some things not like I, I it's it's so it's kind of very nuanced, you know, right, right. And you have to see what feels it for you. Like for right. someone eating a salad can be diet culture. And for right. someone, it, it, it doesn't have to mean that. Like, right. It is very person specific. Right. Exactly. So um, I did like some supervision with Evelyn Triboli and like she and I would ask her about that principle. She's always like, like, let's say I'm doing that with clients in session. That's like more like an unpacking principle so like the first session or the first one or two sessions I'm just unpacking that with them like when did your diet culture start and for some clients it's like when they were born they were born you know for some clients it's like their first diet when they were five um I know it is really heartbreaking I yeah it's really sad (laughs) that's why we're doing what we're doing right yeah I I know it's just terrible it's like yeah you think of like a five-year-old child, right? You're like your own child and you're like, oh, they're so happy-go-lucky. They're not thinking about it. And then like, yeah. yes, you hear these stories like at five, I recognized my body or at five, like I saw my mom getting on a scale and being like, oh, I can't eat this today. And it's like, yeah. oh, like that's so traumatizing. I know it really is. I mean, I always say like that a lot of clients are like, yeah, my siblings had ice cream for dessert and I had an apple, you know, or like, my parent made me walk to school like she could have picked right. me up but she made you know like it sounds like a little bit like abuse you know I don't want to be yeah. dramatic but like it feels like that you know right. I mean singled out in that way yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's so unfair and like right. of course you start to develop like what's wrong with me not me right. my mom is handling this not in a great way but like what's wrong right. with me as a child right which right. leads to all these other issues right I always say this also to moms that like when you tell your child like I want you to go on a diet to lose weight you're telling your child I don't like you like this for sure so it's just um we're not trying to point fingers at parents I'm just trying to we're not blaming at all at all yeah I'm just trying to create awareness of like that messaging like what that messaging leads to and I see it of course parents it comes from they love their children right and I also just think there was no Instagram when our parents were growing up there was no free resources you open your phone and boom like this is how to talk to a child so like think we're all learning and growing which yeah is the point right exactly yes that's true so I feel like I always say this that like um the rejecting diet mentality is like when I hear their I say like their timeline like your earliest childhood memory to how you got here like in the mm-hmm. session um I I want to hear it and I always feel like it informs our sessions like I'll go back to like session one session two but for them to hear it they're like whoa I never realized that for the last 20 years I've been you know I'm like, right. So it's interesting. Um, and then, so that's what, that's like session one, two-ish. Then I like to, or like if you're reading the intuitive eating book or the intuitive eating workbook. So then I like to talk about the, then I call this like the physical principles of intuitive eating. Honor your hunger, respect your fullness and the satisfaction factor of food. So this one I think is super important. So many my patients will tell me, well, if I just honor my hunger, I will eat everything under the sun and I'm never going to be, I'm just going to keep going and going and going. So you're telling me I can just keep going and going and going. So 
if you have a client who comes in and is like, oh, hey, listen to my hunger cues. Let's say I'm starving and I keep eating and keep eating. I'm never full and I keep eating. And then, and then I want to keep eating just because I like the taste and I am full. So you're telling me I should just do that? Like, what do you, and obviously you hear the anxiety and all that. Right, so right, right. Coming in and they're anxious. You're basically right. telling me to be out of control. That doesn't right. sound good. How do you respond to those patients? So I don't, I don't usually like tell clients, this is what you should do mm-hmm. in a set, like, in a session or in between sessions, I say like, these are, this is like, I teach them about the hunger fullness scale, which is a rating scale of zero to 10, zero being like overly starving, like think of fast day and 10 being overly stuffed, think like Thanksgiving full, right? <laughs> so, um, so I always say that like zero isn't comfortable hunger, 10 is not comfortable fullness for most people, right? And again, like going back to like dieting tells you what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, um, everybody experiences hunger and fullness differently at different right. rate. Sure. And there's different levels of hunger. There's different levels of fullness. So, um, which I think that's so important to normalize because many people are like, well, I eat more than my boyfriend or I eat more than my husband. And right. like, I think it's so important to be like, and that's okay. Like right. some days you're going to be more hungry than the man in the house or the right. woman. Like that's okay. So I think like that's so important that you like normalize that for them. Right. It's so funny because like to me, it just sounds so normal. Right. But for so many people, it doesn't sound normal. Like, of course, I shouldn't be hungry. I'm like, what does that even mean? Shouldn't <laughs> you are <laughs> like, of course, I shouldn't have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, I'm right. sorry, your, your body's going to have to go regardless of what right. you feel. Right. Like a lot of judgment. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just what diet culture does. It gets you to like question your cues, which is like, again, that like form of body distrust or mistrust or whatever. So um. So what I tell clients to do for a little bit is to set alarms on their phone for every like two, two and a half hours, three hours, depends on their schedule, depends on whatever. And I say that like in the intuitive eating book, they talk about this, that like when you learn to drive a car, you're hyper-focused on, you know, like checking the mirrors and like the steering wheel and everything. And then like after a while, it becomes like automatic and you don't really think about it. Um, so I don't want them to be like hyper-focused on their eating always, but I, I do kind of a little bit ask them to do it for, let's say, I'll say one week or two weeks. And that's because I want them to notice that they do have a natural hunger fullness pattern. Like everyone does. Um, yes, diet culture and dieting may have turned that off, but we can like reinstate those cues. That's like the goal. Right. For sure. Which I guess is kind of also like what you're saying to you to your patients and like for the dietitian also in the initial stage of an e- initial stage of an eating disorder also it's like we're gonna prompt you to eat every couple hours right. until those hunger cues turn on so interesting how like, yeah similar like when your patients walk in the room and like the same for when they're at the initial stages of their eating disorder treatment yeah because even though like they're they they like somebody with an eating disorder their cues may be totally like you said haywire I find that that's very similar with people who even don't have an eating disorder. It's just so confusing, so hard to listen to your body. Um, And then, yeah, so then I teach them, like, what is a hunger cue, right? So I feel like this is, like, like people don't really talk about that. Like, I didn't learn that when I was a kid. And I think, like, you could probably speak to this a lot, that, like, let's say, like, with fullness, like, a lot of people who experience fullness experience guilt. So there's been sort of like um, confusion of like, is this fullness or is this, my, is this my fullness feeling? Is this my guilty feeling or like hunger, right? So like hunger, you could feel hunger in your head. You could feel hunger in your hands. You could feel hunger in your stomach, like emptiness, gnawing, um, like an achiness in your stomach. But like, that's usually like very hungry. 
Right, right. But yeah, I think like, especially so for those who are more on the restrictive ends, like any, basically they're walking around on an empty stomach. So any food in their stomach initially is going to feel full and anything past that is super full. So also like part of this, which I'm sure you do also is normalizing fullness. Like, right. That's what your stomach is meant to do. If your stomach is working properly, it will stretch out to accommodate the food and then it will digest digest it and that's mm-hmm. okay also but I think like you said with diet culture it's like oh you have to like make sure you don't go over the point of fullness which like sometimes life calls for being full right. like you said right. whether Thanksgiving or Christmas right. or whatever and like that's also very okay and normal and to be able to kind of like you said sit with that fullness sit mm-hmm. with that guilt and to explore that guilt even if you're full it doesn't mean you have to feel guilty you did mm-hmm. nothing wrong like right I always tell patients, if you drink a little bit more water, you're probably going to feel full or you're feeling guilty for that. So right. I think that's such an interesting point that, yes, what's fullness like? Is it okay to be full? How to tolerate that fullness? How not to feel guilty? Like, it's so interconnected. Right. And also, like, going back to the hunger fullness scale, like, there's different levels of fullness, right? So I say, like, like let's say, like, six or seven is, like, what they call, like, um, comfortable fullness versus, like, eight, nine, or ten, which is, like, a little overstuffed or very stuffed. So I say, like, um, if you're like, let's say like, let's just say like you have a desk job and you're, you, it's like lunchtime and you're hung, really hungry and you need like a meal and you have like, let's say chillant and potato kugel and challah <laughs> yeah. and yeah. And so yummy, but you're like a 10 full, you're like really uncomfortable sitting at your desk working. But if you do the same thing on a Friday night and everybody's chilling on the couch and you're like reading a magazine and you're like a little overstuffed, that might actually feel really comfortable because you're not thinking like. I want dessert. What do I have? Should I eat it? You just ate it. You enjoyed it. Your stomach feels like content, a little uncomfortable, but it's like you feel super satisfied. So there's just different right. levels of, of sometimes you're going to want to feel this full and sometimes you're going to want to feel this full. Just like you wouldn't want to, if you're about to go to like a fancy expensive restaurant, you're not going to want to like eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because you want to be like really like hungry for your meal. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. Yeah, which I think that's like so important to teach because then it's like, oh, nothing with intuitive eating, like nothing is black and white, which I think the eating disorder makes things so black and white. Like there right. is a system. So like, yeah, if you're that starving, okay, so you have like a half a peanut butter jelly sandwich. So you tame some of the hunger and then you right. still have room for the delicious food where the right. eating disorder is like, you cannot eat anything. Right. There's no way we're not eating. I don't care if I don't feel well. Right. I love that there's like all this flexibility with intuitive eating, which like, we just set the person so much more at ease. It's like, oh, right. but I'm eating in an hour, but I'm hungry. And intuitive eating is like, okay, well, let's assess your hunger and it makes sense to eat. And that's totally okay. Right. I think that for people who struggle with an eating disorder, flexibility seems like seems to be very scary. Yes. And sure. not just someone with an eating disorder, anyone who has been dieting for a long time, like, I mean, I'm not trying to like be a therapist here, but like we could overanalyze it, this. There's a lot of overlap. There's yeah. Like, don't worry. There, I feel like people who do tend to diet are so badly like trying to, to like they're always like just tell me what to eat and I'll eat it and I'm like I can't just tell you what to do and you'll do it like <laughs> that's not how people work right like you're a person in the world living with in the gray and you have choice and that's a good thing but they want so badly almost like not to have a choice but like that's right. how they got here you know which is so interesting because it's like I don't think like you said they realize when a diet tells them what to do or someone tells them what to do, initially they're like oh it feels really nice right but then if the diet says to 
do X, Y, and Z, and now they want to do A, B, C, then they're like, oh, no, right. this is a predicament. Because, like, now I'm listening to this, but I want to do this, and is A, B, C bad, and is X, Y, Z okay? And, like, right. it right. doesn't make them feel not in control. But it's interesting right. initially. It's like, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. And then later on, they're like, now I feel really out of control because right. they said do X, Y, Z, and I'm doing A, B, C, which A, B, C could be totally fine, too, but they didn't hear that from that person. Which I guess creates a lot of guilt because it's like, I'm supposed to be doing this. I mean, I hear that all the time from like, not just clients, just like people near me. Like, I really shouldn't be eating this. Like, of course, they're going to feel guilty if that's what they're saying to themselves the whole time, you know, like. Right. And I, I just had a patient actually the other day and she's like, I don't like going to dietitians. A lot of eating disorder patients don't like going to dietitians because they're the ones who are like forcing them to eat. Not really right. forcing, but they right. know they're going to change their eating habits, which is scary. But right. it was interesting. She had said to me like, well, my dietitian will say like, okay, so allow yourself to have like three or four cookies if you want, if you're in the mood for that. And then she said, well, let's say I have five. Then, right. then I'm in bed. Then, and I'm like, oh, but I don't think, I think she meant like she gave you this like random number, but someone who takes things so seriously and they are so rigid and so fearful of what will happen if they step out of that, like whatever, you know, requirement that they're having, whatever it is for them, she took it as like anything above that is horrible which is like right. oh, I think she just meant eat what you want but putting an arbitrary number on it already sets off all this anxiety I think that I, I I tend to tell people that people who have an eating disorder almost always have a comorbidity of a mental illness of anxiety depression OCD bipolar because mm-hmm. it's manifesting in food right but it's like yeah For like sure. if you tell me three or four cookies and I have five the anxiety is just out of control you know so it's like yeah that's that's the way eating disorders work and this is why also the food label right it's like for me cereal I don't know half a cup of cereal for me is a joke like uh, like I need like five times that serving size because that's just not like it's not okay but if you're someone like you're saying who has OCD tendencies and you're like a serving size is a half a cup which is a joke right you go above that half a cup and this is what's been FDA whatever this is what the nutrition label reads yeah like that causes so much anxiety so right. like I think like also the intuitive eating principles like you're saying like really helps with that right right and it's just I also like just to validate the experience of how hard it is like not just for people with eating disorders it's just like it's just it, it is hard because even people who are like going through it with me like my clients are just like oh I don't love the flexibility because I just want to know what to do and I and I hear that Right. But it's like, I'm like, it's a journey. It's a journey through the principles. So there's like hunger, fullness, and then satisfaction. Like you were saying before, it's hard to know. Do I want something salty, sweet? So satisfaction, that's why I call it like the physical principles. Like, uh, like learn about your hunger, learn about your fullness, learn what you actually want. And then um, after those few sessions, I say like, okay, now let's, now that you've been doing it for a little bit and you can identify, are you really hungry? Let's talk about like, I talk about like self-care challenging the food police and not and coping with your emotions with kindness so I, I always say like once you figure out what your hunger feels like now when you want to eat and you're not hungry we could kind of pull that apart what's going on for you emotionally right um so I first like to talk about self-care and how if you don't if you don't have adequate self-care physical spiritual emotional self-care food could take on that role and how dieting kind of compounds that because dieting makes food like taste better when right. you actually eat it. So it's like you get that more reward reward in your brain. And then you're just like not like eating enough, sleeping enough, moving enough, uh, don't have enough um, 
don't have good friendships, don't have boundaries in your relationships, don't have a therapist or a way to process your emotions, right? Um, no spiritual practices, like food is just like all those could become all those things. Right, right, exactly. So like the eating disorder or food or like certain behaviors really do becomes like a coping skill, right? right. It's your whole right. toolbox and it's your whole life right. and it's your passion. So when someone's like, okay, let's take this away. You're like, what? Like I, like right. I built my whole life around diet culture and an eating disorder like and for some people they it's hard because they they've been in and out of healing so they don't they don't have close ties with friends or family they don't they haven't been in school because they've been in and out they don't have a degree they can't get a job so right most people it's it's so hard also because it's like well if I give up this I'm gonna have nothing which is like no if you give up this you're actually gonna have everything and all these opportunities at your feet but for those people it is so hard because this is what they've been doing for basically the entire life. The ones who are, you know, thank goodness, not as emotionally like drained from it. They they are able to still have relationships and go to school. And I feel like for them, it's sometimes easier to pull away. But like you're mm-hmm. saying, if you don't have these emotional, spiritual, whatever ties it is, it's so hard to be like, okay, I'll give it up because mm-hmm. this is what your whole passion and life is about. Right. And I feel like that's important for people to know that having an eating disorder is a coping mechanism. I feel like people are just like, why would someone ever do that? Or how could it get so bad? Right. And it's like, I even said this to a client recently. I'm like, don't worry, I'm not going to take away the food yet. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm never going to take away the food from you. But like, I wonder what the food is doing for you. Because I always say like human behavior doesn't exist in a vacuum. So when you engage in a behavior that's hurting you, let's say, it's also somehow helping you, obviously, because you wouldn't do it. So that's why I like to kind of like attack it from different angles and say like, let's talk about the food directly in the beginning. I mean, I do talk about hunger, fullness and satisfaction, Mm -hmm. but before I even do the emotional eating piece, I want them to know like, let's have other things in place. Like where, how are you holding in your self-care? Do you even believe in self-care? Because so many people don't. Uh, like, like self-care, that's selfish. I'm like, okay, no, no, right, no, no. Let's, right. let's take that back. Right, right. And I think it's becoming more like, you know, normalized and maybe like a little bit of a fad. But I think that people don't really think of like, people will just say, oh, it's my self-care, it's my self-care. I'm like, well, what, like, let's pull that apart more. Like what would actually really be caring for yourself here? Right. Right, so there different. was um, one of the eating disorder books, I think it's Eating in the Light of the Moon. That's what I was like, just thinking, yes. That's so funny, with yeah. the log, are you thinking about the... the in the um, water? Yeah, with the log yeah. in the water. That's literally what I was just thinking, yeah. That's so funny, yeah. yeah. So like this whole thing, there's a storm, right? And you're like resting on the log, the log is going to save you because everything is like just drowning. So you stay on the log and it's like keeping you afloat. And then like the storm is over. And people are like, hello, like you can come right. back to shore now, like right. go with your log. But the log saved you. You don't want to go with the log because if you like with the log, you're going to drown. But you don't need to drown anymore because there are people there to help save you and there are other helping coping skills. Like hanging on to this log, hanging on to the eating disorder is actually going to keep you from moving on. And if you're just sitting in a log in the middle of nowhere, like eventually it won't end well for you. But right. it's so hard to let go of that comfort. Right. Um, that's so funny that you were thinking about that. I thing. was. I was like, I read something in a book with something with the moon, and I couldn't remember the name of the book, and I couldn't remember the so like. Funny. Yeah. So I just didn't say it, but yes, I was literally thinking that. So I, I, I think about that a lot. That like, I guess that's like kind of like the IFS model, like internal family systems model. That like all the thing, the coping skills that we've developed over the course of our lives, 
have helped us at some point and are no longer helping us. So we can't just take them away. We have to unpack them and figure it out, which is like right. very powerful. And replace them, which is right. hard. It's so hard. Right. It is very hard. So that's why, so we do like, a, I do a lot of self-care talks, depends on the client. Like sometimes I could stay there for weeks because I love that topic and I love helping people develop their self-care mm-hmm. plan. And it's very like important to me. And I think it's really an important thing. Um, Sometimes clients are in a, like, let's say they've been, like abused so Mm. they feel this level of like I don't deserve self-care so sometimes we have to like come back to that when they're feeling better like when they're doing better right and that's interesting because a lot of patients will say to me also like I don't deserve recovery I don't deserve to be better I don't deserve to enjoy the food that I want right which is like again that's also so heartbreaking and like let's let's unpack that why why don't you deserve that like let's talk about that Right. So, and then some people are just like, oh my God, self-care. Like, is that really a thing? Can I really do that? And then... <laughs> I know. It's so funny. People feel like, it's so funny. Self-care, and this is like related but not, snacks. Like, adults will tell me, adults will need snacks. I'm like, I wouldn't right. want to go drinking in hours, but like, all the adults I know are like eating snacks. Like people, mm-hmm. like another patient also was like, I eat so many snacks. Like, what's wrong with me? I'm like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with the other people who are not, not that there's anything wrong. I mean, listen to your right. hunger, you do what you want, but like snacks are just not for children. Like right. they're for everyone because sometimes you're hungry between a meal or you just want something and you want to have a snack. Right. Um. So I wonder also like, does that come up for you too in intuitive eating? Like we're saying like self-care, is that a thing? Snacks, is that a thing? Like how do you tackle that when that comes up? I'm trying to think if that's ever been a thing like, specifically snacks um no I feel like people have certain things like I'll I'll call like food rules okay so it's like fall under that category I guess yeah or it would be like I just had I was just talking to a client who felt like she was making peace with food but when we unpacked it more she was I was like okay are you like she was eating it but she was feeling really guilty I'm like okay what are your Mm -hmm. trigger foods or like, what food are you feeling like safer around? And she was like, oh, my trigger foods are like everything. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> not just pasta, sweet potatoes, but like anything that's like diet culture. I mean, I don't even know like anymore. Like, everything. like carbs, anything I, carby? I guess so. Even if it's like a vegetable, even if like right. some people would say that's, but I don't know. So many people have taken that so far. So yeah, um, I know. The poor, poor white, I always say poor white potatoes and poor yeah, white rice. They need to have true. a super and pasta because- <laughs> so sad for them so do yeah that. chips candy cake all those mm-hmm. things yeah let's make yeah. this work for them so sad. <laughs> yeah so I just think like I wouldn't say snacks necessarily but just I I sometimes say for um for clients like would you ever send your kid to school without snacks and lunch oh my god I would never do that right <laughs> but you just went eight hours without any food and like you don't need food like but your child like that doesn't make any sense right right and again like we alluded to this last time just like like being a martyr like but I can handle it like right I'm functioning I'm like getting through the day and it's like right. you think you're functioning you think right. you're getting through the day but clearly like look you showed up you came right. here like something right. is bothering you so right. it's not totally okay right or you're not functioning at your ideal level like imagine if you were eating imagine if you weren't consumed by guilt like you would be a different person Right. And they all deserve that. Again, right. it goes back to the deserving piece. So I'm fine, right. I'm fine, I don't deserve it, you know. So it, right. And that is what you model for your kids, by the way. The way that you care for yourself is the way that you're modeling for them to take care of themselves. So if you're thinking like I must 
neglect myself for my children, you're just teach, perpetuating that belief system for your children, sadly. Especially so. when they're, they're sponge. They just yeah. soak up every, yeah. like everything totally. for sure. Totally. Um, yeah, going back to that value, value-based living, what's my value system that I matter, that I'm a person that I have needs, my, you know, like I want to give that over. Um, so then we talk about, um, challenging the food police, which I find is like that CBT component, like your thoughts create feelings, your feelings create behavior. So I talk a lot about, this is like, people love this, like automatic negative thoughts, you know, Mm. like I was saying before, like we just absorb like our belief systems from people around us. So like you kind of have that voice in your head, that recording in your head, what does it sound like? And of course, for people who have been dieting, it's a very mean voice. Oh yes, they are so mean, so yeah. mean. I'm like, yeah. you, would you ever say this to like a loved one or a friend? And they're like, I would never. Right. I'm like, but you can just say it. To you. And I always say like, if you speak to yourself in like a really harsh, crappy way, you feel crappy. And if you feel crappy, you treat yourself crappy. And then right. it just perpetuates the whole cycle over again. Of course. So it's like, it's like, um, yeah, just like, I talk about like different automatic negative thoughts, like catastrophizing black and white thinking. Right. And I, I like the face it, trace it and replace it. Like I learned that from Parallel Brown, which I quote her a lot. Um, so like, that's just like an easy way to think about it. Like you want to notice your thoughts, like be aware of what you're telling yourself all day. Like if you eat that, you're going to be fat. And if you're fat, no one's going to like you. Right. Um, so like, it mag- of course you're not going to want to eat, like you're not going to let yourself eat chips in at least in a calm way. You might be doing right. it, but you're screaming at yourself the whole time. Right. So if you're not happy with your behaviors, you have to go to the thoughts. So um, we talk about their thought, their thought patterns, how to reframe it, and then um, not using food to cope with your emotions. So it's like when they, I feel like this is a good time for them to figure out when you are eating, not because you're hungry, what's coming up for you and like kind of like paying attention to your, um, like, let's say emotional patterns that trigger mm-hmm. you when you're not hungry or trigger you to restrict even. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a lot of times for the first part of what you're saying, like reframing the food police, like we end up like my patient, we end up laughing, right? Because at the end of the day, we're like, okay, so let's talk about a sweet potato. Like, what's so scary about a sweet potato? And like, they start laughing, like we're laughing about it because it's right. sweet potato. It's an apple. It's a banana, right. right? Like, oh my gosh, society has demonized bananas for so long. It's yeah. so much sugar. It's like bananas are fruit. Like, yeah, I love it has potassium. It's like so yeah. healthy and good for you, and like and peanut butter. Oh my gosh, delicious! So like, yeah. once you start having these conversations, and they're also able to laugh about it, and like someone else is validating for them that like what you're thinking in your head, like maybe it is irrational because when they don't say it and they just think it, they're like, oh, this must be true because I'm thinking it. And once they right. say it out loud, and someone else is like, hey, let's unpack that. Like, we're yeah. like a sweet potato. Like, what did a sweet potato ever do to you? Like this sweet potato beat you up like the sweet potato like say mean things to you and it's like you're right like what why why am I so scared of a food item like how is a food item like an inanimate object like I always say pick up your pen is that scary Mm -hmm. like pick up your water bottle is that scary like a sweet potato why are we giving this so much power and like you said that comes from like well I'm afraid it's gonna make me gain weight Mm -hmm. what does that mean and I'm afraid I won't be like Mm-hmm. When has that happened, right? It's like all these things that are seemingly are like, oh, it's just food. Like you said, once you unpack that, it's like, yes, let's get to the real underlying issue problems. And then the sweet potato is not as scary because it's less about the sweet potato and more about what's really going on emotionally. Right. right. I think that that's a really good point. That like, I always say this. I, th- I heard it on a podcast. I don't remember where I heard it. But they said, like, you don't have to believe everything you think. It's true. 
Yeah. So like our brains really tell us a lot of things throughout the day and just having that space either in therapy or with me or, or journaling or whatever, meditating, which I find to be really, really like an important life skill. Um, you're like, you notice what the thought pattern is and then you could reframe it. Right. So that's why I feel like that's really, really important, like working on the thoughts. But then yeah. with, with that principle, um, coping with your emotions with kindness, so I tell clients, like, I, I give them a few ideas, but like when you know you're not, when you want to eat, but you're not physically hungry and only when you are positive, you're not hungry because sometimes it can be from hunger. Like, like, let's just, I always go back to like hunger for the hunger fullness scale. If you're like noticing that every single night at nine o'clock, you're binging on carbs. Let's look at what you ate in the day. Oh, well, I skipped carbs at lunch because carbs are obviously bad. And like, I, I couldn't have carbs at breakfast because like they're kind of bad. So then like, I don't know, I did, uh, but then I binge them anyways. I'm like, well... I'm not going to say this is emotional eating. I'm going to say that you probably need carbs throughout your whole day. <laughs> right. You know? And like, it's, it's interesting because I definitely have patients who are like, oh, I don't know, whatever. I don't believe in food eating. And then when we say like, okay, obviously for each food, each meal, it's good to have a carb or protein, like, you know, fat, making sure you're hitting that. And like a week later, she'll come back and be like, you know, for breakfast and lunch, I had all my food groups and then I had dinner and I actually found I didn't binge at night. And I was like, hmm. Mm-hmm that's great. Why mm-hmm. do you think that happens? Like, cause you're nourishing your body. It's also like, mm-hmm. don't drink water all day. I don't know if anyone's ever done this, but like somehow you don't, you're just not drinking water. Like you don't think about it. And then at night you're just chugging water because your body is like, I'm so, you don't even realize, you don't realize mm-hmm. that like the bottle's gone because you're not drinking. Right. So right. The same with food, if you're not nourishing yourself properly, if you're taking out food groups, if you're restricting or even mental restriction, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, later on your body's like, hello, we like, we need some food here. And then all cues are turned off. It's just food, 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 food. There's no hunger right. bonus because right. you're in like this, this mode of, we need to protect ourselves. Right. And it, and it, it overlaps with like all the self-care stuff that we were talking about. Like, wait a second, like you skip breakfast and lunch. Why? I don't know. I just was really busy. Like, I didn't think I, I didn't, I forgot. You can't forget about lunch. Like, just like, well, like you're not sending your kids to school without lunch. Like you're not sending yourself to life without lunch, you know? <laughs> exactly yeah so there's a lot of overlap like that's why like when when we say intuitive eating it's like no no no, it's not just like eat when you're hungry stop when you're full um so so i i i I just love that principle so like coping with your emotions with kindness so like um asking yourself those two questions what am i feeling right now and what do i need so like identifying the feeling and then identifying i always say that like you can use food to cope with your emotions and sometimes it helps and I have like a lot that's of also, that's also normal at times. It's normal right. to be like, oh, I could really go for like ice cream because like I'm not feeling great. Okay, yeah, yeah have a scoop or two. Like that's right. That's okay. I mean, if it's teetering on a gallon, two gallons, right. obviously it's more emotional, but that right. is very normal. Right. So I say like you could do whatever you want, of course, and let's like uh, like create autonomy. But like, the, does the food help you or does it not help you? Like if you're feeling like angry at your husband, I don't know if a bowl of ice cream is going to help you. I wonder if right. talking to your husband about it or even journaling about it or calling a friend to discuss it. Okay. Well, it's debatable if you should talk to your friends about your husband, but um, <laughs> not, not for this podcast, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but like, I think that like some people will say, yeah, it actually lowers my, the intensity of my feelings. Then an hour I can talk to my husband and some people will say, no, I just feel way worse. Like I really just need to go deal with it directly. So that is mm-hmm. really figuring out your like coping strategies besides for food or with food or how it's going to work. And that it takes a level of practice and self-awareness, like what's working and what's not. Right. And I think also like 
many of my patients as well with like the comorbidities, right? Anxiety, perfectionism, they want everything done yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, recovery into the beating is a process, right? Like maybe you realize that, you know, this amount of food is satisfying and then one day it's not and then you tweak it and then you go back to it and then you're in the mood for this and you never thought you'd have a craving for chocolate and now you do and things are changing and it's mm-hmm. like they just want they just want to know what's going to happen every single day which the eating right. this is your schedule every single right. day and she's right. it's like, well you're actually going to enjoy life and let's see what the day brings which is so riveting and freeing but for them feels so scary because they don't know what will happen. Right. And especially in the beginning, once they trust themselves and trust the process and they know, but especially in the beginning, it's so hard to be like, you're giving me all this freedom. Like, wow. Like, right. can I even do that? And it's like, yes, you can do it. It's just yeah. takes time and practice. Right. Right. Um, okay. So we have six more minutes, so I can't finish all the principles, but may- oh, oh, maybe we we'll do. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do, um, uh, what's it called? A third one. <laughs> um, but basically that's we're only up to like the fifth, like five out of ten principles, right? Right. So so I will eventually talk about gentle nutrition and joyful movement, mm-hmm. but I only do that when it comes from a place of self-care and not from a place of self-punishment. So that obviously takes like a lot of time. And like just if this is helpful for anyone, I say this to clients all the time. I probably said it on the podcast a bunch of times that if you've been dieting for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you've been working on intuitive eating or eating disorder recovery for one session or five sessions or even a year, it's going to take a long time to unlearn what you've been telling yourself for all those years. And I'm not going to say it's going to take you 20 years. I hope it won't. And I don't, I'm not into like that whole, like you'll never heal. And like, you always have to, I don't believe in that, but like, I think that just to give yourself the grace and self-compassion, which is like the, almost like the whole goal of intuitive eating is to like reframe that inner critic and that food police voice that is coming, not of permissiveness. That's where probably people get stuck of like intuitive eating is eat whatever you want, do whatever you want, right. be whatever right. you want. That, I don't think that's what it is. It just, no. you know? Right, for sure. And I think that's like so important to harp on is like things take time and that's okay. And it's okay to be, it's okay to be kind to yourself. It's okay to be gentle to yourself. It doesn't mean you're going to fly off the handle. It doesn't mean you're going to be a couch potato. It, there's nothing negative of being kind to yourself, but in a world where diet culture is praised and it's like the more food rules, the better, the meaner mm-hmm. you are, the better. It's like, right. No, no pain, no gain. Like, right. Like yeah. that's immobilizing. That's horrible. And that's so right. Like no one has to go through that. No one right. deserves that. Right. It That only works till it doesn't work. And that's exactly. why, it's you know, it's not sustainable. It's just right. not sustainable right. for sure. And it's a really sad way to live, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Okay. So thanks for coming on. Um, we'll do it again. We'll, we'll, we'll finish the principles. Yeah. yeah, we'll finish for sure. Sounds okay. good. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye. bye. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast. Get into it with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.